just need a moment to look at your face. Some of you I recognize from this temporal life that we live in, and some of you I recognize when we were in the Father before the universe was formed. And it is a beautiful sight to see. <laughs> you know, in the very beginning this morning, we were singing, when I consider the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, the universe. You know, sometimes we're singing to God and, and we don't realize he's singing to us. Like, like we're trying to say something to God. We don't realize that he's trying to say something to us. And as we're singing, the, the work of your hands, I hear the Spirit of the Lord, really? Do you 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 really marvel at the work of my hand? Do you really marvel at the work of my hand? Because I did not put the moon and the stars in the heavens by the work of my hand. I did not bring forth light by the work of my hand. I did not separate the water from above to below with the work of my hand. There is only one thing I did with the work of my hand, and that was making you. And we can sing things like... And my prayer is as, as, as we sing, as we come, as we go through this journey that we're in at this very moment, that we will not think that this is the thing. This is just part of the trip so that we can understand God in a greater way. That we may understand songs in a different way. That we may read the Psalms in a different way. That we may see one another in a different way. If someone was to ask me, what is the purpose of your ministry? I know that's a silly question because I have no ministry. But there is only one answer. Is, 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 is that... However you came understanding God, you're going to leave understanding Him in a whole different way. If you thought He was great, you will leave knowing He's greater. If you thought He was high, you're going to leave saying He is higher. Our Father needs us to see and understand through His eyes. Not our own understanding. What a blessing it is. How I marvel at the work of his fingers. 
how I marvel. I want to sing that song and mean it. And I can't mean it at night by myself looking at the heavens saying how I marvel at the work of your fingers. I cannot sing that song until I look up my brother and my sister and I begin to smile because I see the face of God. The work of his fingers. So you have to give me a moment to look at the work of his fingers because it is beautiful. We're all wondering when is the Antichrist coming. The Antichrist is already here. The Antichrist is that humanness inside of you and me that denies the handiwork of God when you look into the mirror. You have to keep fixing your hair. You have to keep making yourself look better because you don't like what you see. But now we look at a dim mirror. But then we will see face to face. Oh, the problem is not you. The problem is the mirror you're looking at is dirty. And when the mirror is clean, not you. When the mirror is clean, you will see face to face. I want to start preaching in a little bit. Right now, I'm just having a good time looking at the handiwork of God. Oh, glory. And if you're looking at a brother or a sister and you see that perhaps what they're wearing, what they're doing, how they're dressed isn't really the right thing, then you don't know the handiwork of God because their life story, their journey is not over. This is where they are and they are there because God is about to do something through them and in them that you cannot see. You begin to see God in his creation. And God will rise up in his creation. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you about this atheist that I met down in the island. And I remember there was all these pastors trying to convince him about Jesus. How can you, how can you look around and not believe in Jesus? How can, how can you not, how can you breathe? Don't you know he give you your breath? How can you, how can you, how can, how glory, how can you, you know? Because the problem is, just because you happen to have a little glimpse of God, suddenly you think that the person who doesn't have a glimpse of God doesn't understand God. The truth of the matter is, from generation to generation, from eternity upon eternity, we will know this much of God. Because knowing Him is an infinite reality. So the atheist knows this much of God, and we know this much of God. And for an hour I sat there listening to pastors trying to convince this atheist about the existence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought it was really funny because I wasn't saying a word. I was just sitting back enjoying, I don't know, a pina colada or whatever it was. It was a lot more flavorable than the discussion at hand. And it was interesting because after about an hour of this badgering and badgering and badgering, I didn't say a word 
And this, this English captain looked at me and said, Rabbi, could you please save me? <laughs> Clary, you know, they're trying to tell him about Jesus. He looks at me and says, Rabbi, can you save me? <laughs> ah, you can't make this stuff up. Perhaps because he didn't realize I'm a messianic rabbi, he thought I could save him from the Christians trying to convert him. And I looked at him, who is my friend, and I said to him, Captain Ray, let me tell you something. People will spend all their life trying to convince you about Jesus. With the time I have with you, I would prefer treating you as if you are Jesus. And I hugged him, and I kissed him, and I loved him. And he looked at me and he said, you're my brother. And I said, I am. I'm going to start preaching a little bit here. <laughs> Glory. That journey is not what we think. You know, I was, I was, I was struggling, you know. I said, you know, I go, I go everywhere, and I'm jumping and shouting and singing. I, I go anywhere. And then and I says, look, you're going to go back to Mishkan, and you're going to say something. I said, oh, glory, hallelujah, what am I going to say? I'm not worthy to go back to Mishkan and say anything. What am I going to say? Should I, should, I, should I give the testimony of the journey? Or should I bring forth the word? Should I bring a testimony of the journey? Or should I bring forth the word? For weeks I've been like, Lord, please give me something. The testimony, people must want to know what happened. It's been a long time. Or do I give them the word? Back and forth and back. Oh, keeper. I'm not Jew, but yes, I am. I go back and forth and back and forth. And back and forth. Okay. And then this morning, you know, sometimes that and I just need to slap you upside the head for just a moment. Because this morning he said, you dummy. The testimony is the word. Because you will overcome by the word of the testimony. One without the other is incomplete. And what you need to understand is your journey, your life, your experience is the word of God. Because David said, all my days you have written in a book. So our word and the word are becoming one in the same. And you may be encouraged to be here to listen to a testimony to hear a word but at the end of the day the purpose of this word is that you may know this word is in you even you it isn't my story it's your story not my word your word his word your word you are the word (laughs) for you are 
living epistles read of all men. I remember about three years ago leaving in one of the most distressed times of my and my family's life. At the time, Paul, my good, good friend, my brother and his family were all going to go together. And sometimes when you go through a journey and you have family with you, it, it, the, it's, it's more bearable. You know what I'm saying? But what I perceived and what we perceived to be did not happen the way we thought. And Ed and I had different plans, different journeys, because this is his word, his plan, not ours. When I realized that Adonai had a different plan and that the plan that he had did not fit my reality, I found myself with my family in winter, way behind on our preparation to leave and having to leave my house. And I remember, I will never forget, I would go into my house and I'd run over to the boat and I'd bring things out of the boat, bring it to the house and bring other things back into the boat because Adonai said, you can bring anything you can fit on your boat. (laughs) Back and forth and back and forth. The winter was coming. We had already had a snowstorm and we had to leave. And I'm looking at family and friends. I'm looking at a congregation. I'm looking at what God begins to birth. And at this moment, I have to leave. I remember going into my home and still having all kinds of stuff there. And Adonai says, you need to go. Anyone who went to see our house after we left must wonder, why did they leave everything behind? We couldn't fit anything in the boat. We got into the boat, we had out, and, and, and we're heading in one of the worst stormy seasons of winter. You're not supposed to be traveling with the boat at this time. And I remember, and I don't have time to give you the, a whole synopsis, but just a few things that come to my heart. As, as we're going down, we're going down, we're passing by Long Island, and we go past Long Island. It was so cold, uh, 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 five to, to six to seven to eight degrees below zero. You're not supposed to be sailing a boat at that time. People would look at us passing by and say, what? What? What is wrong with these people? Not only that, but I, I, you know, I had all the ideas of, of having some kind of training for my family how to sail. I've been sailing since I was a child, but not blue water sailing, which is a whole different type of sailing. It's navigating, you know, into ocean where you don't see land and you need to use your instruments. And, and I felt comf- confident that, that, that Adonai would, would, would give me the ability to do it, but I wanted to share with my family. It's too cold. I couldn't share anything with them. They didn't know anything about sailing. And off we were, sailing a vessel through an ocean (laughs) that seasoned captains would not dare go out. And off we went, and I remember we ended up somewhere past Long Island, Staten Island, and we were so cold, and I said, Lord, how is this possible? We know with him all things are possible, but he pushes you to the place where you need to know more than what you already know. 
You see, you can't say, well, well, you know, his love endures forever. That doesn't work for him. He needs to put you to a place where you so don't deserve his love that you will have to say, my God, his love endures forever because I didn't do anything to deserve it. He has to push you to a place from which you cannot be redeemed in order for you to say, he is my redeemer. He needs to put you in a place where there is no light in order for you to truly say he is the light of the world. You see, he's not interested in you just saying the word. He needs you to know the word, experience the word, be the word. Some of you in here right now are going through hell. Don't worry about it. It's not like God is saying, oh, angels, what am I going to do? I try so hard. They're always disobeying. Oh, God, help me myself. No, God doesn't need to worry about your dysfunction. God is looking into everyone's life and saying, show me a problem that I cannot fix. Show me a sinner I cannot redeem. Show me brokenness that I cannot restore. <laughs> and sometimes you think there's something wrong with your brother or sister. Ain't nothing wrong with them. I think God is just getting bored of your happy little laugh. Everything is good. He says, I'm going to mess it up. Because you need to know me as I am. We were in Staten Island, and, and I remember we, we were so tired. We were so tired. You know, our, our, our learning curve happened on hand, on the boat. What does that little green light mean? What does that red light mean? What does this over here mean? Why is that the magnetic compass points in one direction, but the, 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 the north compass points in another direction? Why is that? You see, God needs to put you in a place where you don't understand. You see, in order to gain understanding, you have to get to the point where you do not understand. Because if you understand, you cannot understand Him. Because His ways cannot be understood by men. We're sitting there so tired, so tired, so tired, so tired. We found a little place to, 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 to throw the, the, an anchor. There wasn't an anchor. There was a, this mooring. So we were trying to figure out a way to tie up to the morning. The next morning we wake up. There was close to one inch of ice on the whole inside of the boat. From our breathing, it just begins to build. And it was so cold outside that the whole inter- it's like we're in, a, in an igloo. And I, I, I crack things and I crack the, the, the ice on the door and I go outside and look outside and, and our vessel is completely surrounded by ice. The ocean around our vessel had solidified to ice. And I prayed, you know, it's amazing because I can speak these things and I know we have authority. We know have, we have authority over the storm. We know have, we have authority over the... We can, I mean... A man said to the sun, stop moving, and the sun stopped moving. The same spirit that was in that man lives inside of me and of you. And I remember going outside and looking at the ice and boldly saying, melt. 
melt in our first Malta. You got to say it with boldness like you're Jesus or something. And then you say, in Jesus' name, melt. Lord, please, can you please melt? And then you go to the weather channel hoping that the meteorologist has better weather because it's not melting. And we were there stuck for eight days. Eight days. And I don't understand. I said, God, why? Why do I speak to this thing? And I know you live in me. Why? And all I hear is the Spirit of the Lord says, there's a reason for the storm. (laughs) There's a reason for the storm. Had nothing to do with your ability to have faith. Had nothing to do with God's ability to transform an ocean, to move one place to another, one mountain to the sea. Has nothing to do with your lack of faith. There is a reason for the storm. And God has a way that's greater than your way. And you may be praying for a miracle and God's saying, I got a better miracle than what you're asking for. So I'm not going to answer that one because I have a better one working on. And I have already seen the end before the beginning. After eight days when the weather was good and ready. (laughs) The ice melted enough for us to push through. and We kind of broke through the ice as we went out. And I stress, emphasize when the weather was good and ready. Because when we moved on, there was no prayer. There was nothing. We just turned the boat on, pushed it, and broke through the ice and took off. Like my brother here, I too was a little pissed off at the Lord. I said, what is going on? I'm walking in the boldness of faith. I done left everything behind. And, I, and I'm speaking these things and nothing. No. 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 My name is no. My sign is no. Everything is no. You got to let it go. If you think because I'm in Haiti, I'm not with the times. See, the younger folk know what I'm talking about. So so basically, everything I want, everything I'm expecting God to do is not happening. We left that place and we had all kinds of other insane situations. But another one that comes to me, I was so tired because we were going day and night, day and night, day and night without stop. We needed to try to outrun winter because winter was gripping us. And you know you spend eight days in your boat. That means eight days of food that you no longer have for your journey. It's not like, well, we'll just stick around here. Everything's going to be okay. No, because the little you have has to last for the entire journey. So we got to outrun this. And I was so tired. And I remember giving the helm over to Andre who had come to help us navigate. And I said to him, Andre, tomorrow at around 1130 About 12 o'clock, at this speed, we're going to arrive at an area where we can then turn in and go find some place to fuel up, get some water, get a little bit of rest. That will happen tomorrow at about 12 o'clock, 11.30, 12 o'clock. I handed him the helm and I went to sleep. And you know when you're so tired that you can sleep for 12 hours and it feels like you didn't even sleep one hour? You're just so exhausted. 
I woke up. I didn't know what time it was. It was 7 in the morning. And Andre came down and said, Dad, we're almost there. I said, almost where? He said, a place to go in and get some fuel. I said, Andre, what, what time is it? Oh, it's 7 o'clock, but I found another place. I said, Andre, no. At the rate of speed we were going, I know how many knots we would travel, and only, only by 12 o'clock would we be at an area safe to go in. He said, Dad, no, I looked at the map. There's a safe place here. I zoom in, I zoom in to the chair plotter. See, see, see. He was out, and when you're zoomed out, you can't really see the detail, but as I zoomed in, I showed him, do you see these signs? And it's all these, it's, it's all like, do not enter, do not enter, danger zone, none of the depths are actual because of, of currents that cannot be predicted. We were in a nightmare of shallow waters without knowing what was underneath the boat. And just as I took the helm, the boat came to a sudden stop. We were pushed sideways. And for an hour to an hour and a half, waves were coming and smashing it sideways. And the boat was sideways, spinning around and landing back on, on shallow ground. We could hear crushing of rocks underneath the boat, which is a complete destruction for any boat, no matter how strong a boat is. We could hear it. Lisa was downstairs, cuddled up into, the, into, into her... Um, uh, where, where were you, honey? I don't even remember. In the, in the thing. The sleeping bag. The sleeping bag is Lisa's anointed place. When all hell breaks loose, she goes in the sleeping bag and covers herself up. There I am, sideways, trying to figure out what to do. At the same moment, a, a huge, 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 what appears to be like a storm of, 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 of fog. We, I couldn't see my hand, so I can't see anything. Our boat is laying on its side, being pounded by waves. And when a boat is not moving, all your instruments can't tell you where you're going. So all you see is this, this floating compass spinning around. And you don't know which way to go. And I cried and I cried at a night. Deliver us from this situation. Deliver us from this situation. And all we got was nothing but pounding of waves. With no deliverance. No rescue. And all I kept getting is there's a reason for the waves. There's a reason for the storm. No prayer. No fasting. No Nazarite vow can stop me from what God is trying to teach me in that situation when he says there's a reason for the storm. I'd like to, I would like to deliver you from this moment, but I can't because there's a reason. I'm doing something greater than you understand. You need to be safe from the situation, but you're not here because you need saving. You're here because I'm about to teach you something you've never known before. And I say again, when the ocean was good and ready, it sent a huge and mighty wave. It smashes to the side. The boat spun around, and then it was floating. And I had no idea which way to go, so I just floored it and went wherever the boat goes. And once we began to move, I began to see the depth get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. 
I'm really amazed that in this process, God moves at the moment where I no longer have faith. You see, when I'm faithful and shouting and believing, nothing happens. It's when I say, forget it, I give up. God says, good, when you give up, when you give up, it's time for me to move. And when you give up, you can close your eyes and just floor it. don't matter where you go because it's no longer you trying to go where you think you need to go. There's a reason for the storm. There's a reason for the storm. We get down to Florida. It's, I could, that's a whole other storm. I, I end up with my family in Steenhatchee, which is made up of rednecks who don't like blacks or Jews. I, I can't even tell you that story, but that was just really, really bad. And yet again, we could not leave there until I and I decided we done give up. I did hear the advice of the pastor who came up to me, Rabbi, I'm just here to give you a little constructive criticism. I, you have a lovely wife and all, but, but she come in here with them pants, they're going to think she's a lady of the evening. I said, she is. She's a lady of my evening. Glory. What's wrong with that? Oh, she had ladies come up to her and, and said, honey, you know, I, I, you got beautiful hair. You got beautiful hair, but you really need to, to, to stack it. And the anointed word of the week was, stack it, don't hack it. Because a woman has the glory of her hair. She should not be cutting her hair. I mean, everybody's got the religion thing figured out until God shows up and they can't recognize God. So Steen Hatchie was hell, and day after day we were bitten by gnats. And I said, gnats, a long time ago Moses done got rid of you. Why is a descendant of Israel being chewed up by gnats? And I tried to get rid of the gnats, but they would not leave until they were satisfied drinking up my blood. And Adonaiah keeps reminding me, there's a reason for the storm. We finally leave. We finally leave. And we're heading down. We're all excited. There's five boats. We're all going, you know, missionary, missionary, rah, rah, rah. We're all going down. You know, because, because, you know, when you're moving, you feel like something's happening. What you don't understand is oftentimes when you're moving, you're going backwards. (laughs) And God is saying, you think you're going the right way? I'm not done yet. We get halfway, we get halfway to Haiti, halfway to Haiti. After all this beating up and all that, I'm so excited. We get halfway to Haiti, and one of the captains in one of the boats comes out on the mic and says, we all need to turn around because we're all going to die. I said, oh, no, 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 anyway, no, 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 that ain't going to happen. We ain't going to turn around. I, I done went through too much to get over here. I got to keep going. I, I, I ain't turning around. I ain't turning around. You go ahead and try. I ain't turning around. I, I can't turn around. You see, because the journey up to that point, we already don't have the provisions to even continue to Haiti. How am I going to go back? And where am I going? 
I ain't going back. And as I say I'm not going back, that little boat turned around and started heading back. And I look at Lisa and say, honey, honey, we can't go back. We can't go back. We can't go back. God, we can't go back. We can't go back. God, we can't go back. And then I remembered just before we had left, the vessel that just turned around had a hired captain. He was hired by a young couple, newlyweds, who wanted to come with us to Haiti. And now that deranged captain had turned around with a crew that does not have to sail, returning back to the United States. They couldn't stop him. We couldn't stop him. Nothing could be done. <laughs> we lost everything. I have no home to go to. We have nothing to go to. We can't go back. And Adonai reminded me that before we left, I was Skyping with the parents of the young couple. And they said to me, Rabbi, we're really concerned about our children. And I said to them, I will treat them as if they are my own. You know, I heard something I never thought I'd hear from God. I heard him say, are you willing to give up the call to preserve life? <laughs> We're all going to die. And I reminded me, death and life comes out of your mouth. So I said to Lisa, honey, we got to turn around. We gotta turn around. And as we made the decision to turn around, a big wave picked the boat up and it gulped up some air into the engine and the engine stalled. So now I have to spend an hour trying to prime a diesel engine while I'm throwing up. And what do I have to look forward to? Turning around. And going back. Finally, we got the engine started. We look in the binoculars, and they were 15, 10, 15 miles out already. And I knew if we didn't turn around, they would be dead. So we turn around, and we travel another four days in open ocean, no sight of land, just going backwards. As they're about 20 miles ahead of us, and three storms that came like 15-minute hurricanes knocked our boat over, nearly ripped everything. And I heard Adonai say, this storm was for them. But when you turned around, the enemy doesn't know where they are, so he's hitting you because your vessel is able to endure the storm. Three storms nearly killed us. We took the brunt of three storms that were supposed to be brought to that little boat who turned around. You see, when you say you're going to die, the enemy's ears perk up because that's what he wants you to say. That's what he wants you to do to, do to you. And all I hear in my spirit, there's a reason for the storm. 
There's a reason for the storm. It's not going to go the way you want. It's not going to happen because you had the faith. There's a reason for the storm. There we were back in Steenhatchee without food, without fuel, Without the ability of being able to get a job, I remember I was trying to get a job because I'm a builder. I can build anything. I can, I'm contract. I can do anything. And I would do it for next to nothing. And I remember trying to get a job, and, and my, my interviewer asked me, what's your name, boy? I said, Peter. says, what's your last name, boy? What's your daddy's name? Oliveira. Don't know that name around here. You best go on. Back up north where you done come from, Yankee. I I didn't know. (laughs) I didn't even know I was a Yankee. (laughs) I mean, we're we're walking in Confederate flag land, and I ain't got nothing against Confederate. I'm just saying we're in land of Confederacy, and they still believe the South will rise again. And I remember being invited to go to a church, and someone said to me, you believe in Jesus? I said, yes. You ain't no Jew. You're a Christian. He made an announcement to the church. There ain't no Jew. He's a Christian. <laughs> and I thought I was smart. I said to him, I said, last time I checked, Jesus is the king of the? And he looked at me. He's the king of the whole wide world. <laughs> Insanity. And there we were for six months. Without any ability, possibility, or even hope to being able to get back on our boat and travel down to Haiti. This is crazy, but I have to tell you anyway. I couldn't find any provisions from it. Nothing, 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 nothing. And I cried, I cried. No answer. Six months later, a man comes up to me. He says, you hear a Jim Jones guy in a tragedy? I said, yeah. I says, well, I'm his cousin. I said, okay, all right, good. Baruch Hashem. Why not? He says, remember Ali North, Iran Contra hearings? Y'all remember that? He says, I'm the pilot that flew the missions for Ali North. I said, oh, yeah, great, great. Why not? Sounds good. Well, I'm here in Haiti, in, in, I'm in here in, in Florida, and I've been looking for someone who does construction work. I heard you do some of this stuff. You know, can you come to my house and do some stuff? In the middle of hell, God will bring something who navigates through hell to come and bless you with the blessing of God. And it's not coming from where you think it's going to come. There's a reason for the storm. There's a reason for the storm. There's a reason for the storm. By the time we left... Once again, we're heading to Haiti, and that was another long, long trip to get to Haiti. It was clear God could not bring us where he needed us to go as long as we had something to rely on. As long as we had something to fall back on. As long as we had a little bit of finances to make the trip, as long as we had some strength to continue, we could not go. God would not allow us to go on this journey until we had nothing to give. 
You're going through hell right now. It's not your fault. It's nothing. It's God is sitting back and squeezing you and pushing you and poking you until you have nothing to give. Why? Why? Because where you're going... You're going to deal with some things that are impossible for a human to deal with. But it won't matter because you already know you can't do it. There's a reason for the storm. Oh my God, we arrive in Haiti and we're speaking in front of thousands of people. And when you've been through the storm where you know you got nothing else to give, what God is doing is he is focusing your eyes that you may see the kingdom of heaven and you may see the kingdom of hell and you see it clearly and it is tasteful and defined and you cannot be touched by anything of this world. The praises of the people mean nothing to you. The curses of the people mean nothing to you. Oh, we just love you. Oh, we just hate you. Means nothing to you. And I remember being in front of a a, a sea of people, 12,000 to 15,000 people. They all came to hear Rabbi Peter speak. And I get the microphone. I'm looking out and not a single word is coming out of my mouth. And you know, years back, I would have been like, Lord, please give me something to talk about. Give me something to preach. Everybody done come over here to listen to me preach. Oh, Lord, please don't do this. Don't leave me hanging, Lord. Don't leave me hanging. But once you've gone through the storm, you don't need to say anything. Just stand and look. What's the message? And I remember standing there just like a dumb and looking around. And everybody's looking. And then you begin to see people get up. And the first ones get up. And they always go like this, you know. And they got the They do that in Haiti. Where did they learn that? They didn't pick that up in Haiti. They picked it up over here. Someone says, when you got to get up, you know, you got to put one finger up. That means, all right, I'll be back. I just got to go do number one, you know. (laughs) Two, I think, means something else. I don't know what it means. But you begin to see people leave. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking, and not a word. Pastor's looking at me. Are you okay? Not a word. Time goes by. Half of the people leave. It gets loud in there because people start talking to each other. Not a word. As the people begin to leave, there's an old lady. She must be about 90 years old. She's got a little Bible, and she's just walking out. And at that moment, I had a in my spirit. There, that one. And I look, and I leave the station. I look down, and I pointed at this woman. And the words coming out of my mouth were simple. God's property. And when I said God's property... This little woman went, ah, she was demon possessed. God, God will have you standing in a sea of people and God can single out the one person he brought you there for. Once you've gone through the storm, you know you can't do anything for God. 
You can stand there and wait for God to show you who needs deliverance today. I thought the message was for the people. No, the message was two words for one human being. God's property, God's property, God's property, God's property. And I never knew you could do deliverance ministry by just repeating God's property, God's property, God's property. Because after about 15 minutes of shouting God's property, God's property, that woman was set free from the demons that had oppressed her most of her life. There's a reason for the storm. There's a reason for the storm. (laughs) The storm comes so that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that with men it is impossible. But with God. You know the word but... You know what but means? But undo, undoes the previous sentence. You've got to understand. You know, with men it's impossible. But the but means forget the first part. I'm about to tell you something else. But with God, with God all things are possible. And if it's with God, it cannot be with you. It has to be 100% Him. It can't be 99.9% God and a little fraction you. He needs you to die that He may live. There is a reason for the storm. There's a reason for the storm. You go through the storm so when you get to the other side you can see the face of God. And no, He's not up on the mountain or in some temple somewhere. He is walking among you. Even you. There's a reason for the storm. There's a reason for the storm. The storm comes so that through the storm you realize there ain't enough praying. There ain't enough fasting. There ain't enough titi tying. There ain't enough talits I could put on. There ain't enough Bible reading verses memorizing I could ever do to do this thing. Only with God. Is this possible? And when you go through the storm, you no longer see people and see, well, I know where they are in this life. Oh, I don't know where they are. Oh, I see that they're walking with the Lord. Oh, I see they're not walking with the Lord. See, because this day with our eyes, we can see God has brought this young man to a place where there is a blessing, where he's coming up. But he's testifying that he's not always been that way. But God has already seen it that way from the beginning. So when you were looking at him and judging him because he was going through hell, God was saying, why are you judging my Holy One? Touch not my anointed. This is what God is saying. You don't see what I see. You see what you see in your temporal reality. This, this fragment of time you're stuck in. But this is not how God sees. And he brings us to the storm that we may see through his eyes. There's a reason for the storm. And so that brings me. To a scripture that is so misunderstood. And we've heard it quoted incorrectly for so long. And it is God dwells in the praises of his people. Have you heard that before? And we usually say that. God. Hallelujah. Just praise the Lord. He dwells in the praises of his people. 
what we don't understand is that scripture is not connected to any time of joy. That scripture comes right after King David was saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I call out to you, why are you so far away? I have no rest day and night. I cry out, why have you forsaken me? I have no rest, my God, my God, my God. The scripture that David was quoting that Yeshua would be saying on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That scripture after that says, but thou art holy. You who inhabit the praises of Israel. The scripture we connect with praise and joy is actually connected with the darkest moment of time. (laughs) There's a reason for the storm. The storm comes to make it impossible for you to ever judge another human being. Oh, the storm comes to make it impossible for you to judge yourself. (laughs) The storm comes so that the only thing you can see is the glory of God in all things. And then he began to remember the text that we so know and love, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You realize that's not David singing. That can't be David singing. Oh, before the storm, it's David singing. Yeah, I get it. But once you go through the storm, you know that ain't David singing. The Lord is my shepherd. Come on, who's the Lamb of God? God, Yeshua. This is Yeshua singing. And at the end, at the end, it gives you the revelation. He says, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I shall feel no evil. That ain't David. That ain't David. That ain't, that's Yeshua. Because he's the one who walked in the shadow of the f- valley of death. And, and then he and then says, he prepared a, a table before me in the presence of thy enemies. That ain't David. That's Yeshua eating in the presence of Judah, who's his own enemy. You don't understand. And then at the very end, he, he makes it really clear. And I, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How can that be David? The house of the Lord is not a temple. The house of the Lord is you and me. How can David come live inside of you and me? This is Yeshua saying, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you begin to see the word, the scriptures, and everything God has for you. After the storm, everything changes. After the storm. (laughs) Some of you right now are in the middle of a storm. Rejoice. Count it all joy. (laughs) You have been hand-picked by the Lord. For his own glory. And there isn't anything you can do about it. There's a reason for the storm. Heli, Heli, Lama Sabachthani. You know the word that became flesh? He took upon himself all of our sin. 
You see, when you judge somebody, you're denying the fact that Yeshua took away their sin. He took away our sin. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the universe was in court. And there was one accused. <laughs> Where is the pedophile? And he said, I am. Who's the homosexual? He said, I am. Who's the thief? Who's the rapist? He said, I am. Who's the thief, the slanderer? Who's the one with filthy thoughts? Who, who? He cried out, I am. And at that moment, he took upon himself our sin, past, present, and future. He who knew no sin became sin that we could become the righteousness of God. And there was one last thing. And today you came here to hear this because you need to hear it for the first time. There's one last thing that he had to be plagued with while he was at the cross. You see, the word, the mouth, the voice of God had to be attacked by one last thing. And that is that there is this Lashan Hara. Lashan Hara is the evil tongue, and it says that what comes out of your mouth is evil. While he was crying out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, Satan was saying, Lashan Hara, everything that comes out of your mouth is bad. You got an evil tongue, evil tongue, evil tongue. How do I know that was the last thing? Because he's the word that became flesh. That was the last thing he wanted to express. The voice of my father, the, my, the, all I see, speak is what my father says and I could just see demons around him saying you have an evil tongue an evil tongue an evil tongue and how do I know this because when he got to the cross they came to bring him some some wine that was mixed or or, or, or wine that was not really good wine it's, it's like vinegar wine and they tried to give it to him and he would not take it but at the end when he was up on the cross and he said Eli Eli lama sabachthani and is getting attacked with Lashan Hara you have evil tongue you have evil tongue and people who have Lashan Hara, something happens to their skin. What is it? What do you get on your skin? Leprosy. Leprosy. And it says at the very end before he gave up his spirit that a man came, one of the centurions or somebody came and he took a pole and he put a, a sponge on his mouth and he took it. Why did he not take it at the beginning? Why did he take it at the end? Because if he was accused of Lashan Hara, it says that the man picked up a pole of hyssop, hyssop, he took hyssop and put it on his tongue. And at the time, Yeshua knew, according to the word, when you have leprosy, when you are accused of Lashan Hara, that God tells the priest to take hyssop and sprinkle it on the person who has Lashan Hara. And they will be set whole. They will be perfect. They will be pure. Yeshua was purified by the very word that he came to announce to his people. <laughs> Sometimes you have to go. If you go to today's Torah portion, you'll see the only way that you can heal someone with Lashan Hara is with hyssop and you sprinkle it on them. He was sprinkled with hyssop just before he gave up his spirit. There's a reason for the storm. There's a reason for the storm. 
enjoy the ride. It only gets worse. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.